Welcome to the Salem Alliance Church Podcast. To learn more about Salem Alliance, including house churches, gathering times, and other resources, please visit us online at salemalliance.org. Today's talk is given by Jennifer Roth. Well, here we are. Good morning again. If you weren't here when I said good morning the first time, I'm Jennifer. Glad to be here at live stream and for house churches and here in the sanctuary. I'll tell you what, it feels normal to be preaching to people again, uh, not just the cameras, although we're so grateful for the cameras. The thing that doesn't feel normal that you might not know is that actually from behind the plexiglass, what I see is myself and a reflection of the screen. Uh, so if it seems like I'm distracted by what I'm wearing or what my hair is doing, I'm trying so hard to look past the plexiglass and see you guys as we, uh, as we are together today, but really good to be together. One of the ways I thought I'd celebrate being back together in person is to show you a family picture because why not? It's always a good time to show people family pictures. So here's a pre-COVID picture of my family. Uh, my husband and sons and daughter and I. And here's a picture just from this last Easter, just a few weeks ago. You've noticed that we've grown a bit since pre-COVID. And while honestly the first picture is closer to 2009 than 2019, it kind of feels like that, doesn't it? Like it's possible that that much of life could have happened in the last year while we were in this pandemic. What is true, whether it's pandemic or not, is that kids grow up faster than you think. And our middle one, Titus, he's graduating from high school this year, from Silverton High School, class of 2021. Here's one of Titus's senior pictures. Yeah, he's actually here now. Feel free to clap loud. You know, this is his service. So yeah, way to go, Titus and other seniors. Um, So... As any mom does, when the senior party is coming up, what have I been doing? I've been digging through the thousands of digital photos, trying to find the ones of his school years, right? Because sometimes when something is coming to an end, it reminds us of the beginning, and we want to look through, and we want to see the process. So here's a picture I found of the beginning. I I did ask his permission for this. The cute little Titus, so excited about his first day at Grant Community School, and now my six, seven, bass-voiced boy who, when I hug him, my head doesn't even touch his chin, is growing up. And the end reminds us of the beginning, right? And that's what's going to happen today in our message, because this is it, you guys. We've been in Revelation for a long time in this Overcomer series, and today is Revelation chapter 22. We are finishing it up. This is the end of this series, and it actually is going to remind us of the beginning. Not just the beginning of the series, but the beginning of the book of the Bible. And we're going to take a look back at where we've been in this journey since October, because we've covered a lot of ground in this series, haven't we? We've talked about how to be overcomers and how to persevere under pressure. We've looked at the symbolism of numbers and the fullness that's represented in the threes and the sixes and the twelves and the thousands. We've looked at images of judgment, graphic images of judgment that were hard to look at. The last time I was here preaching, I had to talk about lion-headed locusts and the seven judgments of the seven trumpets. And friends, we've wandered through some difficult things, and yet even in those judgments, what have we learned? We've learned that they are God's mercy because without his judgment, there's no end to evil and end to suffering and end to sin. And in those final judgments, we actually see the final defeat of the enemy of our souls. <clears throat> We've talked about how there is a lion and the lamb, both images of Jesus, that sometimes his strength comes out like a lion's roar, and sometimes his strength is found in the way of the lamb of sacrifice and humility, and he calls us to live the same. There are so many things we've discovered along the way. 
One of the things at the very end of today's chapter that I want to touch first is that uh, the author of Revelation gives this warning that says not to add anything to this book or subtract anything from this book. And you may have noticed that the preaching team and the Bible study writers, we were really pretty careful to be as true to the text as we could. And you might have actually been surprised that we didn't talk as much about the rapture or the tribulation as you might have been expecting with the series on Revelation. But that's because we've been wanting to be true to what's in this chapter by chapter. And what we've found are images and symbols and the prophetic nature of who God is and what he calls us to as his followers and what his promises are in his perfect future. Just last week, Rob shared with us about heaven and how when we have a compelling image of heaven, it compels us to image heaven in the world around us. And so as we have those compelling images of heaven, the compelling images of the lion and the lamb, the call to be his disciples, let's not get lost. And I would encourage you not to get lost in speculation and prediction about end time, but to receive Revelation as this book that has really been a true journey of discipleship for us. And as we wrap up this journey today, we're going to look at the chapter 22 and notice how it points us back to the beginning. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Revelation 22. Maybe you have a Bible app on your phone, um, but we're going to be reading from here for this service today. So starting in 22, verse 1. Then the angel showed me a river with the water of life, clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. It flowed down the center of Main Street. On each side of the river grew a tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, with a fresh crop each month. The leaves were used for medicine to heal the nations. No longer will there be a curse upon anything, for the throne of God and of the Lamb will be there, and his servants will worship him, and they will see his face, and his name will be written on their foreheads. And there will be no night there, no need for lamps or sun, for the Lord God will shine on them, and they will reign forever and ever. Then the angel said to me, everything you have heard and seen is trustworthy and true. The Lord God who inspires his prophets has sent his angel to tell his servants what will happen soon. And we're going to pause there. Does it remind you of something? Is there another scripture that you know that this picture of the river and the tree and the healing... You know, there's a passage in Ezekiel, the prophecy of a river that would flow from the temple and bring healing to the people. But I want to go back even farther than that. Back in the very, very beginning in Genesis chapter 2, when we see the description of the garden, listen as I read and find the parallels between Genesis 2 and Revelation 22. Then the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he placed the man he had made. The Lord God made all sorts of trees grow up from the ground, trees that were beautiful and that produced delicious fruit. In the middle of the garden, he placed the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river flowed from the land of Eden, watering the garden and then dividing into four branches. Do you hear it? We have the river that quenches the thirst. We have the tree that satisfies the hunger. We have this place of God's presence before the fall of man, before the sin, and this, the access to the tree of life, which if you were to eat for it, would let you live forever. And yet there's this other tree. 
And we know the story, don't we? God said, don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Did he say that because he knew it was really good and he wanted to deprive us of something? No, because he knew what would come from humanity knowing both good and evil. You and I know what came from humanity knowing both good and evil. We live in this broken place that is so painful at times, that brings up sorrow and suffering. We look at the confusion and the evil and the violence. Sometimes we don't know who to believe. We look at the polarization where there is no place to bring reconciliation because people can't even talk about that. We don't have shared vocabulary anymore and we know what comes from the knowledge of good and evil and the brokenness of humanity. And in that first garden, God gave humankind free will. He gave us choice and we used our will to disobey and to distrust. And you and I know what that has meant for the last ancient societies on this planet. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, tempted them to eat of the tree and to Adam and Eve, because they had eaten of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, because you have done this, you are cursed. That's in chapter 3, verse 14. And it goes on to list the curses, that the serpent would be cursed and he would crawl on the, his belly, that the woman would be cursed and that she would have pain with childbirth and she would want to lord it over her husband. And if you have any troubles in marriage, just point back to Genesis and say, this is part of the brokenness. It's also part of the redemption, friends. Jesus can heal marriages. And the man was cursed with the toil of his work by the sweat of his brow. I want to read to you from verse 15 about the curse between the serpent and the woman. It says, I will cause hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. And friends, this is a prophecy of the redemption right at the very beginning because Jesus is the seed of the woman. And yes, Satan struck his heel when he was crucified on that cross, but he crushed Satan's head when he rose again from the grave. And we had the foreshadowing of Revelation 22 back in Genesis 3 when we had the prophecy. We, the curses were spoken, but there was also the prophecy of when they would have been redeemed. And before we jump back to Revelation 22, I want to read one more thing because it says this. Chapter 3, verse 22. Then the Lord God said, Look, the human beings have become like us, knowing both good and evil. What if they reach out, take the fruit from the tree of life and eat it? Then they will live forever. Friends, what was it that God was not wanting to have happen? It wasn't that he didn't want us to live forever. He put the tree of life there to begin with. That was his desire for us, was eternity with him. What was it that he didn't want? He didn't want us to be stuck in our sin for all of eternity. He didn't want us to be stuck in this brokenness for all of eternity. And he says, look, they have disobeyed. They have eaten from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We cannot let them in our mercy, in our kindness, in our goodness. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit from the beginning of time said, I will not let my children live forever in pain and sorrow and suffering, but I will put a different plan in place. And so the Lord God banished them from the Garden of Eden. And he sent Adam out to cultivate the ground from which he had been made. And after sending them out, the Lord God stationed mighty cherubim to the east of the Garden of Eden, and he placed a flaming sword that flashed back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. A flaming sword in front of the tree of life, friends. Why? Why did God banish us from the garden? Because of his mercy. And then what we see in the rest of these pages, it's his story. It's the big God story. Our kids in C1 and C2 talk about the big God story, that everything in this is pointing to Jesus and to his redemption. 
That from the moment of creation, God knew what would happen. From the moment of the fall, he had already put a plan in place. And Jesus did indeed crush the head of that serpent. And so we see in Revelation 22, no longer will there be a curse upon anything. It is finished. It is done. This is the prophecy of the culmination of God's heart in creation, of the redemption of Christ in the world, and what our future with God is. No longer will there be a curse upon anything, for the throne of God and of the Lamb will be there, and they will see his face. Remember Moses? Moses was God's chosen prophet, but even he didn't get to see God's face. He could only look at God's back as he passed by. We, in eternity, when we worship him, we get to see his face. Friends, this is the big God story. This is what God has been doing all along the way. We get access to the tree of life. We get access to the river of life. And we get access to those leaves that are for the healing of the nations. Can you imagine? Can you imagine the healing of the nations? Those countries that have been at war for decades, Lebanon and South Sudan, Democratic Republic of the Congo, and more recently Myanmar, and these coups and these uprising and these violence, genocide. Can you imagine the healing of the nations from our illness, from this pandemic for India, who's in the midst of the throes of COVID right now? Can you imagine the healing of the nations for our conflict and our tension and our racial unrest and our rioting and our distrust and our polarization? Can you imagine the healing of our nation? This is what this is promising. This is what this is prophesying, friends. This is it. It is the whole thing. And the end points us to the beginning. But it's more than that. Because the end is just the beginning. See, our years on this planet, they're just a drop. They're just a drop in light of human, human history, but they're also just a drop in light of humanity. And this end that we look at, this end is just the beginning of what God had planned for us, where the judgment is final and evil is ended and Satan is gone and we live forever. Rob talked about it last week in this place where there are no tears and no suffering and no sin and we worship the Lamb and we celebrate together and we live in our created destiny for all of eternity. This is coming. This is ours in Christ. This is the big God story. It is just the beginning. It's not the end at all. As I continue reading, I'm going to skip through a little bit to some of the things that Jesus said, kind of the final red letters. And if you have a Bible that has the red letters that show that these were Jesus' words, right? These are some of the final recorded things that are, that are put to us of what Jesus said. Starting in 22, verse 7, and listen with me for what Jesus says he is doing and who he is. He says, look, I am coming soon. Blessed are those who obey the words of prophecy written in this book. And jumping to verse 12, look, I am coming soon, bringing my reward with me to repay all people according to their deeds. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. And skipping again to verse 16, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this message for the churches. I am both the source of David and the heir to his throne. I am the bright morning star. Friends, as we read the statements of Jesus, one of the first things that jumps out at me is he says, I am coming soon. And what this leads me to wonder is, what does God mean by soon? <laughs> 
because I know it's not in his character to lie. And I know he wasn't mistaken, but 2,000 years doesn't seem like soon to me. I mean, if my span of life is 80-something, 90-something, soon to me feels like, you know, three days, (laughs) maybe three years. But almost 2,000 years since these words were spoken, and there's this urgency of, look, I am coming soon, and yet soon doesn't mean what we humanly think soon means. Read with me. It's going to be up here on the screen what uh, Peter in his second letter wrote. He said this, But you must not forget this one thing, dear friends. A day is like a thousand years to the Lord, and a thousand years is like a day. The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, as some people think. No, he's being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. Friends, are there any of you out there like me who feel like God's been slow? Maybe there's a prayer you've been praying for a long time and you haven't seen an answer to it. Maybe there's a healing you've been waiting for and the healing hasn't come. Maybe there's guidance you've been looking for, wondering what's next and you just haven't sensed that guidance. Maybe you feel like we're languishing on this broken planet in the darkness of the pain and the woundedness and the illness and you think, God, how long? Like the psalmist, you cry out, how long, O Lord, will we suffer? How long will evil prevail? Maybe like me, I resonate with the Israelites back in their slavery in Egypt. 400 years and they were crying out to the Lord, how long will you leave us as slaves? How long will you make us suffer? How long? And when this rises up in me, you guys, which it does, it it reaches this pitch. A conflict will rise or a pain or I'll read the news and the agony of the world. Just, it overwhelms me. And I think, how long, Lord, can't you just come back and put us out of our misery? Come on. And when it reaches that pitch, I'm always reminded of 2 Peter. And the Lord gently speaks to my spirit. He says, Jennifer, I am not slow, as some people understand slowness. But I don't want any to perish. I want everyone to come to repentance. And so this is what I know, friends. If I am still here, then there are people who do not yet know God who are going to know God. If I am still here, then there is something for me to do, someone for me to love, something for me to speak, something for me to give so that somebody else can go give it somewhere else across the world. There is something for me to do if I am still here because God is not slow. And when the time is now, the time will be now and he is coming for us. And if he has not come yet, then it is not over. And there is something for me to do, and that is the urgency of the gospel, and it is the beauty of grace, that God knows who is coming, and he is unwilling to end all of this until those who are coming will come, because there are some who will be with us at the banquet supper of the Lamb, who will be with us for all eternity, who have not come yet. And will I not suffer for my season, my years on this earth, my 60, 70, 80 49, I don't know, but will I not suffer? Will I not live in the darkness? Will I not live in the brokenness of our planet willingly for the moment, the drop in the ocean that is my life in light of eternity and in light of those who have not yet come? Friends, he is not slow. 
Jesus is coming, and he is coming soon, but it is his definition of soon. And if we are still here, then there is a purpose to our suffering, there is a purpose to our struggle, and there is a reason and a gospel for us to proclaim. It is the urgency of the gospel, and it is the beauty of God's grace. That is why we are still here. He is not slow, and he is coming for his people. And there are those who have not yet come, who will come. And what does he say about himself? He says he's coming soon, and then he lists this list that is just such a powerful, growing crescendo of a list. He says, I am the Alpha and the Omega. What is the Alpha and the Omega? Well, Alpha is the first letter of the Greek alphabet, and Omega is the last letter of the Greek alphabet. Remember in John chapter 1, when the author started by saying, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and through him all things were created that have been made, were made through him. Friends, Jesus is the Word. He's the entirety of the alphabet. Every word that is spoken, we are held, creation is held together by his power. Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He says he's the first and the last. He was before creation. He was there. Remember Genesis 1, when the earth was formless and void and the Spirit of God, he was there. He was first and he's last. He is the king who is coming when he puts all of our suffering to end and sends us into eternity. He's the beginning and the end. See, the end points us to the beginning, but it's more than that. It's that this is just the beginning, but it's more than that. It's that Jesus is the beginning and the end. Friends, it's all Jesus. It's all him. From before the foundations of the world to the finish at the end of Revelation throughout all eternity, it's the redemption of the Son of God paid for us on the cross. It's all Jesus. He is the root of David. That means he was the one who came before King David. And he is the heir of David. He is the one who comes later as the prophetic heir of David. And then it says this. It says, I am the bright morning star. I am the bright morning star. What is it about that imagery that matters? Okay, so it reflects glory and it reflects beauty. But what is Jesus telling us about himself in this image of the bright morning star? I was reading one author who put it this way. He pointed out that the morning star rises at like two or three in the morning when it is still dark, like dark, dark. Moonless night, it's pitch black. And there is no sign of the dawn. There is no glimmering light on the horizon. In fact, the dawn is still hours away, but the morning star is there. Friends, when the morning star rises, it is the promise that morning is coming. We are still in darkness. Friends, we still live in darkness. Can I actually get an amen? amen. We live in darkness, but our morning star has risen. When he was on the cross, he said, it is finished. That was the moment when he rose from the dead, he rose in the sky and he said, morning is coming. You might not see dawn on the horizon yet. It might be freezing cold and it's actually going to get colder before that sun comes up. It might seem darker before the sun comes up, but the sun is coming because our bright morning star is already in the sky and he is the promise that he will fulfill everything he said. Friends, the light is coming. The dawn is coming, but you and I live in this darkness. So how do we live here in the in-between when we know the promise and we know heaven and we want to image heaven to our world? Rob said last week that we are the kingdom of God on earth. We are God on display. I've heard it said that for those of us who live on this earth who know God, 
This is the closest we will ever come to understanding hell. And for those of us who live on this planet who don't know God, this is the closest we will ever come to knowing heaven. See, we live in this place where there is the fragrance of God in his people and his spirit and his presence. But there is always also the fragrance of the devil and evil and what is vile. Listen to what uh, was said here in verse 17 of Revelation 22. Let the one who is doing harm continue to do harm. Let the one who is vile continue to be vile. Let the one who is righteous continue to live righteously. And let the one who is holy continue to be holy. Look, I am coming soon, bringing my reward with me to repay all people according to their deeds. So how do we live in this place? This place where we, we can smell, we can taste, we can see both heaven and hell. Not the fullness of either one, but the, the edges, the vestiges, the, the, the scent of each one. How do we live in this place? We live in the light of the big God story. We recognize that our moments on this earth are only a part of the big God story. And any victories in God are part of his story. And any of our struggle and suffering, it's part of the story of his redemption. We live in light of the big God story. And in that, we wait in hope because we know that our morning star has already risen. We know that death has already been defeated. Satan's head has already been crushed. We know that these things are done and yet still coming. And so we wait in hope for the redemption of our king when he comes again. And because he has not come yet, we live with the urgency of the gospel and the beauty of his grace. Revelation 22 wraps up with these invitations to come. Starting in verse 17, the spirit and the bride say, come. Let anyone who hears this say, come. Let anyone who is thirsty, come. Let anyone who desires drink freely from the water of life. These four invitations to come. The first invitation, it says the spirit and the bride say, come. God's spirit says to our spirit, you can come. You can come to the living water that will quench your thirst. You can come to the tree of life that will satisfy your hunger. You can come to the healing leaves of the nations that will heal your wounds and your hurts and your, your traumas and your illnesses. Come. And then it says the bride, which is the church. Friends, this is our job. This is why we're here because we also get to echo that call and we get to say come to the world that does not yet know God. Let anyone who hears say, come. Anyone who hears this message can say to someone else, come to the river of living water, to the tree of life, to the healing leaves, to eternity in God's presence, come. And then he takes it even further. He says, let anyone who's thirsty come. Do you know what I take that to mean? They don't have to know what they're thirsty for. They don't have to understand what they're looking for. Friends, we don't have to be able to wrap our brain around the full God story, around all the theology of the Bible before we can decide to come. If we are thirsty, there is living water. I think of the woman at the well. She was out at the well at noon trying to avoid other people because her life was immoral. And here came Jesus. And he said, give me a drink of water. And they had this conversation. And he ended up offering her the living water that would quench her thirst. Friends, she didn't know what she was looking for. She didn't go out to that well thinking, I'm going to find God today. She was thirsty, and she came, and the Son of the living God met her. And then this last one. Oh, it's just my favorite, you guys. It says, let anyone who desires drink from the well of living water. 
In the NIV, it says, let anyone who wishes. I got thinking about wishes. What do we wish on? We wish on birthday candles. Like you blow out a candle and you make a wish. Or maybe we wish on dandelions. You know, you pick the dandelion and you blow the puff and we make a wish. And it says, let anyone who wishes come and drink from the living water. Friends, think about the thief on the cross with me. Remember when Jesus was dying? And there was the one thief that mocked him. And there was the one thief that saw something in Jesus. And he said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Friends, the thief on the cross just had a wish. That's all he had. He was blowing dandelions. And what did Jesus say? He said, today you will be with me in paradise. Friends, it is never too late. It can just be a wish. <laughs> it can just be because you're thirsty and you don't even know what you're thirsty for. It can be because somebody told you that you could come. It could be because you came to a church and you sent something there and you wanted to come. It could be because the spirit of the living God spoke to your spirit and he said, come. Somehow you have sensed an invitation. It is never too late to come. We have a cross in the sanctuary that it's a symbol of coming to Jesus. People come and pound a ribbon to say, I want to come. I want the river of living water. I want the tree of life. I want the healing of the leaves. I want to be God's kingdom here on earth. I want to be a follower of Jesus. You can come to that cross at any time. You know, the King James Version of Revelation 22 verse 17 says this, Whosoever will may come. Whosoever will. Remember in the garden, gave, gave, God gave us free will. He gave us a choice. Whoever will use that will to turn towards God and desire him. To accept the forgiveness of sins from the Son of God and repent from our ways and to follow him. Whosoever will may come. Even if it's just a wish. Even if you don't even know what you're coming to, but you're thirsty. Whosoever will may come. Here's the thing. There are those out there who want to do away with the will. They want to say, whosoever may come. Jesus is loving, whosoever may come. And it sounds so good at first. We want everyone to be able to come, but friends, it's not the gospel. It's not what the Bible says. Because the Bible says that God will respect our choice. Remember all the judgments that we read about earlier in Revelation? That is for those who persist in turning towards evil and turning away from God. Because here's the deal. Whosoever won't may not come. It's just so simple and yet so profound. If we want Jesus, we may come. If we don't want Jesus, we may not come. And if we choose not to come, then our end will be the judgments that we've heard about earlier in Revelation. And if we choose to come, then our end will be what we've read about today. Free access to the tree of life. Free access to the living water of God. Free access to his healing and eternity with him. Let's pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, since before the foundation of the world, when the earth was formless and void, you saw, you knew, you saw what humanity would decide in the garden. You set a plan in place to redeem us, and you have promised that our future with you is exactly what you designed from the beginning. Eternity without suffering, without tears, without sin, without evil. God, we thank you. We look to you. You see us now. 
You see this generation on this planet, on this earth. You see every hair on our head. You know every thought in our mind. You know every tear that falls from our eye. You know every wish that we have and every hope that we hold dear. You know every prayer that we pray. God, we agonize, we anguish, we long for you to come. And yet if you have not yet come, we set our faces towards you and we say, yes, Lord, we will partner with you. We will live our stated years on this place and we will continue to be your people who bring your kingdom to bear on this earth. God, we want to be those who live with the urgency in the gospel in light of the beauty of your grace. So we wait. We wait. We wait. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Salem Alliance Church Podcast. We hope you've been challenged and inspired. Salem Alliance is a community of believers located in downtown Salem, Oregon, and we are passionate about our city being a city at peace with God. To experience other messages and discover more about who we are, please visit at SalemAlliance.org or download the Salem Alliance app. And again, thanks for listening.